excited. Last week, uh, we did Church Outside the Walls. How many of you were involved in that? How many of you came to that? Was that so much fun? I wish we could do that all the time. I said, anytime we have a pandemic, we're going to do that. That's, that's just the new rule. So actually, I did have some people that, um, they said that my message was too short last week. So I'm going to double it today. So just... I'm just kidding. I won't actually do that to you. But um, so last week, we talked about the bride of Christ. We talked about the bride making herself ready and that the church is considered the bride of Christ and that we are to be making ourselves ready because Jesus is coming back, right? Hello? Is Jesus coming back? So I wanted to entitle my message today, In the Meantime... (laughs) because what we need to be doing in the meantime is the important thing, right? And so that's why we're starting a new series called the Love Series. We are going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about love, not the things that the the world has to say or social media or... or, all of the different sources that are trying to tell us what love is, we are actually going to go to the source, from the God who it says is love. You know, it says that in First John, God is love. So we're going to be talking about that. So today the title of the message is First Things First. Have you guys ever heard of a guy named Stephen Covey? He, he talks about, he says, I love this. He talks about prioritizing and he says, first things first, second things never. So what he's saying is that if you get the first things done, then those are the first things. And the Bible is really clear that the most important thing for us to do is to love God with all of our hearts and to love people. And that's actually why the Adventure Church exists, is to love God first and to love people. And so we're going to be... Hi. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. Um, If you happen to have a Bible with you, would you please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to encourage you, um, bring, bring an actual paper Bible with you, if you could. Um, there's something about, for me anyway, I'm, I've, I'm slightly, I think maybe slightly ADD, and so I, I get really easily distracted. So even though, like, when I, when I go walking, I like to, I like to listen to the Bible because I'm an auditory learner and I think it's important to know how you learn best. But when I read the Bible off my phone, then I get super distracted. Anybody else? Or is that just me? It's like squirrel. And then I, I start to go, oh, I should check my bank account or I should, oh, I should put this in my calendar or whatever. So for me, I think it's, it's best, uh, at least for those of us who are a little maybe a little bit easily distracted to have an actual paper Bible or something about the sound of the pages turning. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And this is actually called the Shema in in, um, Hebrew. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God, or your God, with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. This is in, this is actually in the law. And so um, in Matthew, if you flip into the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, um, in Matthew chapter 22, um, 
It says, when the, uh, starting with verse 34, it says, and when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. Okay, so these guys were ticked off at Jesus because Jesus was messing with their mojo. They wanted to have all this control over people. They wanted to make sure that they were like the ones that were most respected and they were the ones who, who everyone looked to and revered. And you know, there is a part of, of our human nature that, that wants to be worshiped. And I think these guys, in their, all of their religiosity, they wanted to be worshipped. And there's something healthy about wanting to be honored and wanting to be respected because God has put that within us. But the bad side of that is when we want others to think that we're something that we're not, which is actually the true definition of hypocrisy, is pretending you're one thing, but actually being something else. And Jesus was the furthest thing from a, from a hypocrite, but he didn't mind pointing it out in other people. And so that's what he does here. He's, it says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced, this, silenced the Sadducees, and that's why they were sad, you see? And it says, and they came together, and one of them, who wasn't, I know, groaner, one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question, not to learn, not because he was really curious, but to test him. This is to test Jesus. I always want to do this in a Jewish accent. Is that offensive? <laughs> Teacher, which commandment of the law is greatest? Anyway, and, and he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then also, and all your strength. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Get this. This is important, because I... The Holy Spirit blew my mind this week and showed me some things that I have never thought about before. And we're gonna talk about a parable that most of you already know. You probably, if you grew up in the church at all, you've heard it since you were just a little kid. And even if you have never even been to church in your life, you will be familiar with this particular parable. But I feel like the Lord gave me this, this insight by the Holy Spirit that I wanna share with you. But it says this, the second part of the commandment. The second commandment is like the first. Get this. And it is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you hear people who have low self-esteem, a lot of times they'll say, I just hate myself. A.W. Tozer says, no, you don't hate yourself. You love yourself so much that you wish things were better for you. I know that sounds a little harsh, but the Bible says no one ever hated himself. So if someone tells you that they hate themselves, just know that that's not really true. Because like Tozer says, he goes, if you really hated, you, you say, oh, I hate myself. I'm so ugly. Tozer says, no, if you really hated yourself, you would want yourself to be ugly because then that's what you deserve. But he says, we love ourselves too much and we expect that everything would be just the way we want it. But Jesus is saying we're supposed to love others that way. We're supposed to love other people so much that we would do to them what we want to have done to us. And so, so Jesus says, um, Matthew 22, verse 34, um, or verse 37, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the greatest. This is the first and the greatest command. 
And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, people get out of, out of order in this, I think. You know, we're, we're created as holistic beings. We have our heart, our soul, our mind, and our physical, our strength. And that's what Jesus is saying. Love God with all of it. And you know, people, people go in different directions and then and they form like little religions. Like, you know, um, the, the people who go to the gym religiously, and I mean that in, like intentionally, like it becomes like a religion. You know, they're, they're focusing so much on the physical, on the strength part. Or people that are really into psychology. You know, they're really into like oh, I wonder what this means and how this, and that becomes kind of their main focus or like their, kind of their religion. Or there's people who are really only about the emotional health of someone. And, and all these things are important, but they also have to be in context of the whole person. Or people who all they want to do is learn Learn, 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 whether they're, whether they're theologians or whether they're just normal uh, scholars of some kind. And that becomes their religion, is knowledge. But you know, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's why we're talking about love, because we want to build up, not only others, but also ourselves. We are built up when we love others. And so that's why we're going we're gonna to be getting into this today. Um, Yesterday, I went on a hike up to uh, the Cascade Springs. Have you guys ever seen that? Stewart Falls. It's down near Sundance. Um, beautiful, beautiful area. I was kind of, I feel like I kind of missed the peak of the leaves, but I was, <clears throat> I was on this hike, just wanted to get out into nature. I mean, there's something about that. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the creation and, and it really does, there's, there's something that happens when we just get out into nature. And um, so I wanted to go and have some solitude and so, you know, I'm trudging up this hill and all of a sudden I hear like this whole group of people talking really loudly and, and initially I was so annoyed. I was like, Ugh, I just want solitude. I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. And it was like, the Lord's just like, you totally don't get it, do you? <laughs> it's because when God created all of the beauty and the mountains and the leaves and the trees and the birds and the rushing rivers, he said that was good. But when he created his people in his own image, that was very good. And I got so convicted because I was like, here I am hearing God's most favorite of all creation are his kids. And I was so annoyed. I just like, I'm totally missing the point here. Don't we miss the point sometimes? So who is my neighbor? Loving people, who is my neighbor? Matthew twenty two thirty nine, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now I want to get into this parable. Um, it's called the parable of the good Samaritan. Now you're all shutting down going, I already know this parable, <laughs> right? 
I, I really believe the Lord wants to bring a new insight today into the good Samaritan. You know, even people in the world, people who don't even believe in the Bible or they don't believe in God, they know what a good Samaritan is, right? There's a, there's a hospital in San Jose called Good Samaritan Hospital. So we're gonna talk about this today and the irony in that. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke 10, it's right after nine. 25. Okay, Luke 10, 25. Parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? Okay, it says, then an expert in the law, or also known as a lawyer. You know, the word lawyer comes from lawyer. So this is a guy, it's not like a lawyer today where they're, they're litigating or they're defense attorneys or whatever. This is somebody who just studied the law. That's all he did. That was what his whole, his whole career was. An expert in the law stood up again to test Jesus. This isn't because he was curious or because he wanted to learn. This is just to, to mess with Jesus. He wanted to test him, saying, teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, this was the question of the day. This is what the, the Hebrew studies were really all about. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, they came up with these ideas that there were these 633 laws that had to be followed. And, and some of the laws were like, crazy. Like, like some of them were like, you don't even understand why, why they're even considered laws, but it was just a list of rules. Rule, 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 rule. And this is why Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? Because this guy's an expert in the law, right? So he's not curious about wanting to actually know. He wants to, to show Jesus, I already get it. I already know. This is what this lawyer is. This is such a religious spirit. And that's not a good thing. Our religious spirit is not a good thing because it means that it's all about the external. How do I look? You know? Instead of what's happening inside. And so, what must I do? Okay? Right there. What must I do? As though he could earn eternal life through what he did. See, that's what religion tells us. Religion says, I have to do this and do this and do this and not do this and not do this and not do this. That's what the spirit of religion does. It puts this heavy burden on us, a heavy yoke. And Jesus came to, to break that yoke. And that's why he says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You know how Jesus always answers a question with a question? You notice how he does that? She turns it around. Okay, it's on you now. How do you answer it? How do you read this? What do you think it says? What do you think this actually means? So this lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm trying to read this in a religious voice. With all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is just like dripping with just this arrogance, which again is usually synonymous with religion instead of humility, which is what Jesus calls us to. He, he answers the question. See, he says the right words, but the intention of his heart was off. 
And that's the whole point. Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. So Jesus is basically saying, yep, that, that is what it says. That is what the law says. And this is where Jesus turns it around. He took up this question and he said, and now here's the story. Prepare yourself. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And it says, or the, oh, wait a second, hold on, back up. He says, wanting to justify himself, this is this religious guy, he's wanting to justify himself. He's wanting to say, well, I've already got this down. And he says, and then he turns it around and asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? So he's not actually teachable. He's not actually open. He's trying to prove that Jesus is missing something when he says, who is my neighbor? Because basically what he's wanting to say is, well, I, I love the people that I choose to love. And that's when Jesus messes with them. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a treacherous 17 or 18 mile road that was full of rocks and, and crevices and cliffs. And it was a terrible, hot, awful road to travel. And it says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. Now the word robber is significant here because what robber means is that they take from you violently. And it usually involves force and it usually involves some kind of uh, physical abuse. And that's what these guys were doing, these robbers. It says he fell into the hands of robbers and now don't pass over this because this is really important. It says they stripped him. So he was probably half naked or fully naked. They beat him up and then they fled, leaving him half dead. These guys stripped him, robbed everything from him, beat the tar out of him and then just left him. They didn't even know if he was dead or not. They just took off. And it says... A priest happened to be going down that road. Calvinists, you don't like this. He just so happened. He, he went down this road. He happened to be going down that road. And it says, the priest, okay, get this now. A priest is like the religious leader or the spiritual leader. This would be akin to a rabbi or an imam or an LDS bishop or a pastor, this is a spiritual leader. This, Jesus is saying this because this guy is the most likely one who everyone would assume would stop and help this guy. That's, that's what the priest is representing. The priest is supposed to be representing some, somebody who you would assume would care. You'd assume that they would stop. Just as a little aside, I, I just want to share something with you um, this week. Uh, there, were, there was a group of, of pastors and we met at the Capitol building and we had a really, really significant conversation with the governor. The governor. I couldn't stop saying that all day. I'm going to meet the governor. So, but we met with the governor and he is, he is, I mean, it was a pretty profound moment. I mean, he had times where he, he broke down and wept, and um, he's a really tender-hearted person, and I mean, I don't know where you stand politically, and I don't really care. 
Not that I don't care. I care, but I don't want to talk about that now. But, <laughs> but we had a really profound conversation. But prior to having this conversation with him, there was a, there was a group of us sitting around the table. And these are, these are pastors that represent some of the largest churches in Utah. And I'll tell you, this is a solid group of human beings. I was so moved that the state of Utah is in such good hands. These are pastors and we each went around the room and we each shared what, what the Holy Spirit is showing us personally and then also what we believe that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church today. And to hear each one of them in their own honesty and vulnerability and brokenness share what the Lord has been doing in them and sharing, you know, what their vision is for the church, the bride of Christ. It was, it was a beautiful time. It was so awesome. I was so grateful to be a part of what God is doing in Utah. Aren't you? This is, it's such an honor to be here. Such an honor that the Lord has chosen us. And, and if you're one of those people and you're always trying to get out of Utah, just stop that, okay? The Lord has you for a reason. He has you here for a reason. And I believe the Lord wants to save the state of Utah. I believe God has a special place in his heart for Utah. Amen? Amen. So that, that, was, a, that was a freebie. So anyway, back to the priest. Okay, the priest is the religious leader. And let me just say this. Pastors are people too. Okay, so don't, don't ever think that like there's something more special about the pastor. I mean, I start out every day desperate for God. I start out every day confessing my weaknesses and my brokenness to the Lord, just like you should. I'm not shitting on you, but you opening yourself up to the Lord and just making yourself vulnerable to the Lord. I, I start out my days that way. And again, I start out my days, I look up at the mountains and I say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who, and then I pour out my heart to him, who, who comforts us in our distress, who holds all things in his hands, who gives us everything we need for life and godliness. I, I, just, I just pray that way. And I just want you to know, pastors are just as desperate for God, but the only difference is that we are under constant spiritual warfare, constant opposition, and constant attack. So just so you know, please, please pray for me and pray for the pastors in this valley. We are not against any Christian church in this valley. We are unified with them. So please pray for the pastors because these guys were sincere and they were all just crying out for the wisdom of the Lord. So here's this priest. It says he was going down the road, which means he was in Jerusalem. He was performing his temple rituals and everything. So he was on his way down because in those days, like, he, he, didn't, he couldn't even touch a corpse. He couldn't even go near to a corpse or he would have been what they call defiled. It says, but when he passed by, this guy who's laying there, stripped naked, beaten to a pulp and half dead. And here is this religious leader. He's just like, he just walks the other way. Didn't even give him the time of day. And some people say, well, maybe he was afraid he would be unclean if he went near, he didn't know. 
But the whole point is, he didn't even go close to this guy. And then it says, in the same way, a Levite. Now, Levites would be like, they're kind of the assistant to the priests. So say the priest is kind of like the pastor, and then the Levite is kind of like y'all. You guys are like the Levites. So you guys are, are spiritual people. You believe in God. And it says that the same way a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. Some, some uh, versions say that, that he kind of went close and kind of looked to see what was up. And then he's like, mm, no, I'm out of here. And then he took off. And it says that in the same way, he went the other way. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Okay, get this now. In these days, Samaritans were the most reviled, despised, despicable, hated race by the Jews. Samaritans, the, word, the words good Samaritan is like an oxymoron because Samaritans were considered the, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth. That's what Samaritans were, which is so ironic that this story is about a good Samaritan. So it says, a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. So he actually went to the man and it says, he came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he went over to him and he bandaged his wounds and it says he poured out olive oil, which is kind of like a salve, and wine. Wine is the thing that um, it was used as like an antiseptic. antiseptic. Um, it, it, um, you guys are all worried about this, aren't you? <laughs> it was the thing that would, um, it cleansed the wound. But the thing is that wine in the Bible represents divine life. And we just took communion, right? And that represents the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And so these, these guys, or this, this Samaritan comes up and he actually puts wine on him, which is so symbolic. And olive oil, which is, the, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It says, he went over bandages, wounds, pouring oil and wine. It says, then the Samaritan, the despised, least likely person in the universe to help, it says, then he put him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whenever or when I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So Jesus is asking this lawyer at this point. And the lawyer said he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That's how despicable it was at the time. So he said the one who showed mercy to him. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So now whenever we've heard this story in the past, we've thought, well, Jesus is showing us an example of how we ought to be. This is how we should act. This is how we should treat our neighbors, which I believe he is doing. 
but I think even more profoundly. And, and I want to challenge you in this. This is something that I've started doing recently. You know, whenever there's a story or a movie or anything where there's a plot, there's always a protagonist, which is the hero, and then there's the antagonist, who is the evil one or the, the enemy. Typically, when we read the Bible, we read it as though we were the protagonist, don't we? We like to say, oh, I would be like that good Samaritan. I would be like, I would be the person that would be helping them. Or, or that's what Jesus is showing me. And what I really believe, that rather than Jesus saying that we are the good Samaritans, I think he is saying he is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who gives us the oil of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who poured out his blood for our sins, the wine, you know, covering. He's the one who bandaged up our wounds. He is the one. I really believe we are the robber. We are the one who's laying on the side of the road and we're broken and needy and desperate. Either that or maybe we're the robbers. Maybe we're the ones who are bringing the destruction to other people at times. Or maybe we're like that priest. We're self-righteous and we think that we're, we're these godly people, but then when it, when it actually means having to take time out of our schedule, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm way too busy. Or the Levite. So who are you in the story? You know, we want to believe we're the Good Samaritan, but I think the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And it says, and then he takes him to the inn, and then he pays for him. Do you see the symbolism here? And he says, I'm going to go away, but when I come back, just like Jesus said, Jesus is the one who came to set the captives free. He's the one who binds up our wounds and releases us from our prisons and sets us free. Amen? And not that we're not supposed to be like the Good Samaritan, but I think the entire point is that it is not possible for us to love this way without having this love for God, without completely surrendering. And let me just say, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about love for a couple of months now, but it is not possible to honor God and to hate your brother. It is not possible for us to say, oh, I love God, and then you have bitterness against someone else or division against someone else. How much you love God will be demonstrated in how much you love people. Because it says he pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So your actual love for God is reflected in how you love other people. And that's why Jesus says the second commandment is like the first. Do you get this? Because this is the most important thing. This is how we love God. How else do you know how much you love God? I mean, you can have feelings and thoughts and think this, but until it's actually meted out in your life, there's really no way to know. And so Jesus is calling us first and foremost to completely surrender to him. 
not to, not to be seeking the things of this world, not to be concerned about things that aren't eternal. I mean, he is concerned about eternal things. And again, I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna keep saying this. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. And one of the ways that we can be ready is to completely surrender to him. You know, there's, a, there's this crazy author, um, I think he's kind of like the male version of me maybe, but um, his name is Bob Goff and he wrote a book and I love this. It's called Everybody Always. And what he's talking about is this is who we are supposed to love. Everybody always. Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would have said? Who are, who's my neighbor? Everybody uh, how am I supposed to love my neighbor as myself? You're supposed to lay down your life just like Jesus did. You're supposed to give yourself up. You're supposed to prefer others better than yourself. And the only way we can do this, guys, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not come naturally to us. I mean, we can do nice things for people. You know, we can act religiously. We can do external things, but Jesus is concerned about our heart. And you know, the natural tendency of our flesh is to despise people in our minds and our thoughts and to judge them and to criticize them and compare ourselves and set ourselves up as the protagonist. But when God pours his love into, the, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that's when we can genuinely love people, which is the way that we genuinely love God. Again, back to my hike, you know, like, oh, I want to I wanna have this time with God. And then God's showing me these people that he absolutely loves and he, and he died for. And he's saying, this is what it's about. And that's what he's calling us to. To fully surrender to him. Give ourselves completely over to him. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then with everything we have to love other people through the love that he pours into our hearts. Does this make sense? Does it sound possible? Does this sound hopeful? There's hope. Our God is a God of hope. And this is what he wants us to know is that as we surrender, as we give everything over to him, he's gonna make our path straight. He's gonna be the one that's gonna gonna step near to us. He's gonna come near to us and bind us and heal us and take us to a place and pay the price for us and come back and take us to be with him. Amen. So who are we gonna love? How often? Say it again. Who are we gonna love? How often? Always. Can you stand as we pray? If you have not surrendered to Jesus, if you have never actually accepted the forgiveness that he offered for you, um, I, I want to just encourage you to, to talk to the person who brought you or come and talk to me. Because the thing is, the Lord, he gave us good news. You know, the, the, the 633 laws, that's not such great news. Because, I mean, what if, you, what if you obey 632 of them and then you miss one? What? You're out of there. See, that's not what God came for. He came 
to set us free from the law of sin and death. And the way that he did that was he went to the cross. He, he, he became a human being and he came in earthly form and lived a perfect life and then offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could live, so that we could be reconciled to our maker. Amen? And that's the good news. That's the gospel. So if you haven't ever responded to that, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and I'd love to give you a Bible. I love giving Bibles away because this is your manual. This is life right here. So let's pray. Do you mind holding your arms out as a symbol of just receiving what God has? Lord, I I thank you that you are good. I thank you that your steadfast love lasts forever. Father, and I do pray this morning, Lord, do something new in us. Give us a new revelation of your love, Lord. Lord, let us understand what you mean when you call us to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Show us what that means. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would massage this into our hearts, Lord, and that we would have opportunities, even this week, as we go about our day, Lord, we wouldn't be so busy that we would miss seeing people that you died for, that we wouldn't miss seeing the needs, Lord, that are, that are right in front of us. Lord, help us to respond in a way that would honor you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, because that's where true love comes from. And so we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And, and Lord, we, we come before you and um, we just want to resurrender to you. And now, if you have never prayed to receive Jesus, um, I'm just going to say a prayer. I'd like you to just repeat after me. Actually, let's have everybody repeat it after me. I'm just going to say a little short segments and let's just, let's just give ourselves to the Lord. So I'll say it and then you repeat after me. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are good, that your love endures forever, that you sent your only begotten son to prove your love for us, that he came and died, that he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. And after three days, he rose again from the dead he was resurrected because he loved us and he wants us to dwell with him for eternity thank you for the forgiveness thank you that you've given us a way to know you to receive your love and to love others as you've loved us in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, give somebody an elbow bump or hug or whatever you feel comfortable doing. God bless you. We will see you next Sunday, 9 o'clock service and 11 o'clock.